This podcast is brought to you by Reynolds and Reynolds, the industry leader in automotive technology. Find out what Reynolds is up to in the digital retailing space by visiting reyrey.com slash register. That's R-E-Y, slash register. Hi, everyone. This is Steve Smith with Automotive News. Welcome to Daily Drive for Friday, May 28th. An estimated 2.1 million manufacturing jobs in the United States could go unfulfilled by 2030 and potentially cost the U.S. economy as much as $1 trillion as a result of the skills gap in America. This according to the latest manufacturing skills gap study from the Manufacturing Institute. Interestingly, when you look back at past studies, the estimated 10-year skills gap forecast has remained largely consistent. In 2015, it was forecast that 2 million manufacturing jobs would go unfilled through 2025. In 2018, the estimate was 2.4 million jobs through 2028. Carolyn Lee, executive director of the Manufacturing Institute, says the United States has been treading water when it comes to closing the manufacturing skills gap in America. She also says earlier exposure to careers in manufacturing, changing the perception of manufacturing to one that is no longer dirty, dumb, and dangerous, and creating programs that bring more diversity and inclusion into the manufacturing sector are all important strategies that need to be adopted to help address the skills gap. Lee, the team at the Manufacturing Institute, and stakeholders throughout the manufacturing sector are working hard to deliver programs that help create that exposure, change perception, and attract individuals with diverse backgrounds to consider careers in manufacturing. The Institute is behind the annual Manufacturing Day, which is designed to encourage manufacturers to open their doors and host young people to experience what the business of making things is all about. The Step Ahead program recognizes women in science, technology, engineering, and production. And the Institute's FAME program helps develop workers with both the technical and professional skills to prepare them to enter the manufacturing workforce. What else does this year's Manufacturing Skills Gap report reveal? How important is diversity, equity, and inclusion to narrowing the skills gap? And why is it when you ask Americans if manufacturing is important to prosperity, national security, and the United States' position of leadership on the global stage, they are unwavering in their support. But when you ask them if they are interested in jobs in manufacturing, they say no. To get insight and perspective on its latest manufacturing skills gap report, we've caught up with Manufacturing Institute Executive Director, Carolyn Lee. Carolyn, thanks for joining me today on Daily Drive. How are you? I'm good. Thanks for having me. I really appreciate it. Well, we appreciate you coming on the show and certainly an important topic at this time in America, not only with us coming out of COVID, but also all the dialogue coming out of D.C. around infrastructure and climate change and clean energy. The Manufacturing Institute released its, um, I think it's annual or or regular, let's say, skills gap study uh, this year. Can you talk about the headlines that are coming out of this year's skills gap study? Sure. The headline is that by 2030, we'll have 4 million jobs to fill in manufacturing. And of those, 2.1 million could go unfilled because we don't have the people with the skills. And uh, in 2030 alone, that could result in a $1 trillion um, hit to the U.S. economy because of, of money that doesn't come in because we don't have the people with filling these jobs. 
looking back at past studies, there has been a general consistency around a 10-year forecast and a gap that it's fluctuated a little bit, but it's been largely the same. 2 million job skills gap in 2025, 2.4 in 2028. You look at the this study and 2.1 million jobs by 2030. I'm curious, are we gaining any ground in closing the manufacturing skills gap? You know, I think it's more like we're treading water. Um, you know, it, there's definitely some uh, improvements for sure, but, you know, the economy is still growing. So we have, you know, constant churn because the baby boomers are retiring, but we're, we're kind of hovering in place. So we're, we're keeping our head above water, I think. Although right now, I would say that what we're hearing from manufacturers of all sizes across sectors all across the country is that the, the need is, is as high as it's ever been. And um, we really are at a at a crossroads, I think, of, you know, we have to do something to make a significant change here because we're we're having a real, it's, it's affecting production, it's affecting our ability to compete. And that's, a, I would say, a real problem for us all. So are there specific skills that manufacturers are looking for that came out in your study or based on all the work that you do over at the Manufacturing Institute? Yeah, you know, I'd say um, I'd put them in two buckets, right? There's the technical aptitude and um, then there's the human aptitude. So uh, we dive into this a little bit deeper this time around in the talent study with Deloitte. And, you know, it talks about how some skills have evolved and, and have become more, um, how there's basically it's more of everything there was. So if you were a machinist before and you needed technical skills and you needed also uh, computer engagement, you know, the, the um, uh computer numerical control, CNC controls, and, and the ability to program the PLCs. Yes, but now you're going to need even more. It's, it's kind of a deeper dive. But you also need deeper dive communication. You need um, higher elevated levels of communication skills and problem solving and teamwork. And so, you know, what I always like to say to people is that you might not think that you are the most technical um, minded and that your your skill sets are kind of more on the, the human skills side. Those are highly in demand as well. We need people who can problem solve and create and innovate and work on teams. And we also need then the application of these skills. So it's not like, okay, if I'm not able to be a physicist, there's no role for me in the sector by any stretch of the imagination. There are roles for all because we need all of these skill sets. But I also find that the the human side of the skill sets are really important as we combat the narrative that, you know, the 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 incomplete narrative and the wrong narrative that the robots are taking over and there are no more humans in manufacturing. Uh, that couldn't be further from the case. And um, what we see is that automation and technology is amplifying and augmenting human skills. And that is, uh, I think, a great opportunity for us all. It's this migration, this evolution, if you will, from what many of us know as STEM to STEAM. And that's that A, that art, a lot of yep. these communication skills that you're talking about. Absolutely. And and all the creativity, right? You know, everything that we use, I tell my kids all the time, they're in elementary school, you know, I tell them all the time, manufacturing is everything. Unless you go out and you pick the apple off the tree or you pull the vegetables out of the ground, it's pretty much manufactured. And um, we don't think of it that way. And I think that's part of the, what gets us to this problem with the perception is, is the average person 
had, doesn't have an understanding of, you know, the importance. They, that's true. They understand the importance of manufacturing. They don't understand the opportunities in manufacturing. And that's why, you know, um, if there can be any silver lining at all over the, the tragedy and the crisis of the last year with COVID, manufacturing is front and center in a way for the average American that I think it's never been before because manufacturing has been the thing that has gotten us through from, you know, the toilet paper crisis last year when everybody was running to the stores last March before shutdowns thinking, what am I going to be able to get? Um, it was all manufactured goods. And then all the things that we needed all the way through the technology and the PPE, that's all manufacturing. And so, and of course the vaccines today that for those who are taking them, and I hope everyone does, um, you know, that's the thing that's going to bring us back to a new normal. And so, you know, we need to explain and we need to do a better job as a sector to talk about why it's so essential that the manufacturing sector is strong and why the supply chain and all the integrated nature of the of the sector, how all of those pieces come together for those fantastic products and, and things that we use every day that, that make our way of life so special. So let's talk a few minutes about this public perception Americans have of manufacturing. But before we do, I want to, you know, I, I spent time a few years ago as a first robotics coach for uh, first graders, second graders. And your point is spot on that even the kids at that level were not familiar with a rocket ship and how that translates into manufacturing or the world that we live in and the world that, that, that we live in automotive news when it comes to not only manufacturing vehicles today, but also autonomous vehicles and electrified vehicles. And in the future, flying cars, all of that takes manufacturing. And as a kid, that all seems pretty cool. But the perception of, hey, that's manufacturing was certainly there. So the Manufacturing Institute for years has done another study called uh, the Public Perception of Manufacturing Report. And each year, the numbers change a little bit here and there, but it's pretty consistent. Americans um, say manufacturing is important to America's economic prosperity. They think America should invest more in manufacturing. They say it's important to maintaining American standard of living. They see manufacturing as high tech, but you ask them if they want a career in manufacturing, they say, mm, not so much. Right. Why is that? And how do we change that? You know, I always think um, it, it, it's a devastating thing, right? There's this theory of it's super important for somebody else to do. And, um, you know, I, I think a, it's driven by, and we, we know this from a lot of the research that we've done, you know, when you say to a, a, an average person, okay, what do you think of manufacturing? They say, oh, it's really important for the economy. Oh, the, that's, you know, really critical. But then you say, okay, do you want your kid to go into the sector? Well, no, you know, that's a job for somebody else. Or no, there's not a lot of stability. Or, oh, those are boring. You know, you're going to stand. I always say, you, you know, you people think you're going to stand on a line and punch a widget and you 40 years, you're doing the same thing. And, and we know that's not the case. And we know... Um, we know what modern manufacturing looks like. It's not the dirty, dark, dangerous smokestacks that people draw when we ask them to, to draw a picture of what what represents manufacturing in their mind. And so we have to change the perception. And so, you know, on the one hand, we already start off with a really positive perception about the importance. And that's key, especially when you look at the millennials and the Gen Zs who want to work in a sector that they think they want to work in a job where what they do is important and has meaning. Well, we have that in spades, right? Everything I just said about, you know, how manufacturing is the thing that's gotten us through the COVID crisis, um, not to mention everything else, right? 
But when you say to them, would you want a job in the sector? And they say, no, all those jobs are leaving. They're going overseas or all the all the robots are coming and there's no more people. And it's this bizarre, you know, dichotomy because it, it can't be both. And and the reality is, is it's not. It's it's a dynamic um ever-changing, ever-evolving growth sector where people are doing different things. I was on a tour uh, just before the shutdown last year. I was at a company. I was talking to a, a, a guy who had been at the company for 30 years. The company had been bought by lots of different people along the way, but he had essentially you know, been with, with the same entity. And he said, I have learned more in the last five years because of the new technology we've brought in than in my previous 25. And he was nearing the possibility of retirement. And he said, but why would I? What I'm doing is so interesting. It's so cool. I'm doing so much more. And I'm like reinvigorated by my passion of, of making things and being productive. Why would I go anywhere? And so people don't see that part of it. And that's why the Institute and the National Association of Manufacturers have come together to launch our Creators Wanted campaign, because we need to take the message out to the public and we need to help the public see what the opportunities are in modern manufacturing. And that public includes emerging students or sorry, emerging workers who are students today, um, you know, in the middle school and the high school, but also those who have been displaced from other sectors uh, because of the pandemic or because of other changes in their own circumstances. And we need to let them know and let their that the students' parents know that um, it is essential that um, these jobs are here and these jobs have great opportunity. And so we need to make these changes. We need to change change kind of the narrative around manufacturing. And I think we have a really great opportunity to do that through Creators Wanted. Well, to your point, it's also some of these people that are have spent their lives in manufacturing are now reinvigorated by the evolution and the technology that they're seeing, they're as much as spokespeople for younger folks as are programs um, like you just described. Would you agree? Oh, absolutely. And that's why, you know, honestly, the best ambassadors, and, and we've said this for, for quite some time, you know, the best ambassadors for manufacturing are people who are in it. Um, and we also need to make sure we're we're having diverse folks within the sector um, so that people identify and, and uh, I guess, people see themselves in people who they identify themselves with. And so we need to have, you know, women, we need to have men, we need to have people with different ethnic backgrounds, we need to have people who came from different sectors, who weren't I started at age 18, but you know, I was doing this and then I came in mid-career and this is why, right? You need to create the stories and the narratives so people can be what they see, if you will. And um, you know, that they have the opportunity to say, oh, I that is something for people like me. And that's at the beginning of like the interest. And then we have to help them with what are the pathways to those opportunities and whether that's, you know, um a short set of training, a certification for six to eight weeks where now you have the intro to manufacturing under your belt and you can go get that job. Um, or if it's a longer course of study, if it's a 21-month uh, um, AMT, uh, Advanced Manufacturing Technician Certificate and, and Degree Program that, that we run through our FAME, um, the Federation for Advanced Manufacturing Education, which was originally founded by Toyota, and then they transitioned to the Institute back in the fall of 2019 uh, so that we could help it grow nationwide. You know, FAME has outstanding, um, has, a, has an outstanding um, 
history and track record and the the outcomes are just fantastic. And, you know, students come out of that without college debt and with most of them with a job. And within five years, according to the report Brookings put out last year with Opportunity America, you know, the same graduates from the same school in Kentucky, those who came out of fame were earning, I think it's $45,000 more a year, five years out than students who came out from a non-fame program in the same schools. And so, you know, there are these opportunities out there that aren't, you know, go climb Mount Everest uh, kind of, you know, hurdles to overcome that can get people to really strong careers and family supporting ways of life. And so we've got to bring that out. We've got to bring that message out. And that's what we're doing through creators. But we're doing it through the stories because, you know, um, kind of the talking head circuit won't do it. But people who have lived it and breathed it and who are walking representations of the opportunities can really articulate that so well. Thanks for listening. We'll be right back with more. Consumers today are pushing for remote and virtual experiences. What you may think is a simple fix by going fully online quickly results in an even bigger problem, loss of control and shrinking profit margins. The question isn't if you go online, it's how. How is it done in a way that you don't sacrifice the success of your overall dealership? The answer? Tune in starting May 17th for a virtual summit hosted by Reynolds & Reynolds. You will gain educational insight into all things digital retail, challenges to the status quo, how to retail anywhere without sacrificing anything, and the true impact on dealerships just like yours through one-on-one dealer conversations. This event is on us and on demand. Grab a seat while they last. We hope to see you there. To register for the virtual summit and learn more about retail anywhere, visit rayray.com slash register. That's R-E-Y, R-E-Y dot com slash register. I want to dive a little bit more into the DE&I theme because I thought that was new or relatively new when you compare to to last year's. Before we do, though, I want to talk a little bit about the conversations underway right now in Washington around infrastructure and clean energy. And I don't want to get into the piece around, you know, what should it include? What do you think about the funding? I'm more curious about the tone. What impact does the tone that policy makers have around this topic? What kind of impact does it have on people's perception of manufacturing and if they want to pursue careers in this? Certainly jobs is important. It's a consistent theme. There's debate on what should be included, how much, how long, et cetera, et cetera. But I think for some folks, the the, the tone coming around this is could be viewed as negative. And I'd, I'd like your perspective on that and, and what perhaps are the implications in terms of people being interested in pursuing jobs if these policy measures do, in fact, uh, become enacted? You know, I think there's, um, I'm going to take an optimistic perspective and say, I think that the focus of this administration um, it, on the opportunity to invest in infrastructure and what that does for the local and and state and regional and national economies, you know, is really important. And I think that 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 leadership is critical. We all know that investments in in infrastructure are necessary. I think the tone, when we talk about infrastructure, then next thing that comes up always is workforce. Well, we need more workers. And I think that's really key because obviously we can't build if we don't have the people to do it. And so I think that that's all really positive. And I think that the the kind of the, the green 
part of the conversation is super interesting and exciting for a lot of folks who are looking to to be part of solutions. And so, you know, I think the more we can talk about innovation, the more we can talk about and innovation, by the way, does not only need to come from startups and, and new companies, right, or, or just the green companies, all companies have innovative ideas and designs and opportunities. And, and we have to talk about all of that. And, and I think that there's a place in in our sector overall for anybody with any background and any interest, and we need to let them know that 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 we are eager to have them join. We have you know between five and seven hundred thousand open jobs um, a, a month now in our sector. So we need everybody, and we need all the momentum that's going into all these conversations about good family supporting jobs for people to know that manufacturing is part of that as well. So let's close on diversity, equity, yeah. and inclusion. It is. It continues to evolve. It has gone over the last several years away from, or broadened, I should say, beyond gender diversity to include now all sorts of diversity, equity, and inclusion. Can you talk about how DE&I can help manufacturers solve for that skills gap? Sure. I mean, and that's a great point. So let's let's baseline for a second. Our biggest gap in the sector by far remains the gender gap. And if we were to close the gender gap by 10%, we would close the skills gap by 50%. And so women are about 29% of the sector's workforce today, but about 47% of the overall labor force. That's a big problem. And the thing is, is we need to get to this, you know, the, the base of the problem where it's, a, oh, that's not a job for you. Two way, how do we, and this there's a big section of this in the talent study we just released, you know, the, the big section of this is how do we retain? How do we retain women? How do we retain workers, period, is always a big concern for manufacturers because you it's it's every every employer knows it's more expensive to hire than it is to retain your workforce and so you know retention is really key and i think this past year you know, obviously everybody's life changed so dramatically and, and schools closed and, and you know, people were caring for other members of their family or their either their blood family or their selected family, right, in, in going through COVID, that it changed the dynamic for a lot of folks. So, you know, gender is a really key topic and it's something that we will continue to tackle from the Institute's perspective, both part of, but also separate from the overall DNI agenda because it is such a massive piece and we're not gonna be able to fill the skills gap if we're only dealing with half the labor force, right? So there's that. So through our STEP Women's Initiative, we'll continue to chip away at um, the gender gap by building the role models and the the mentors and the, the, the networks that women have told us that they need, that that's the thing that would help them come and stay in manufacturing. And those role models are really key. You know, when I was a kid and, and would go with my dad to his factory, you didn't see women. And, um, you know, the, the idea that this isn't a place for you is really... Um, really has an impact and a deep impact. So we need to change those perspectives. We need to change it among parents and teachers as well. Now in the broader DNI discussion, you know, we have been working on the broader DNI agenda since 2018. And we really kind of went into overdrive after George Floyd was killed last year because the uh, kind of the national conversation had gotten to a point where it was essential that employers truly led and spoke out. And, and so we were doing that through the Institute and helping manufacturers learn from each other what they can do to implement um, uh, DNI initiatives and efforts that really helped have their workforce feel like they could bring their whole self to work. And also it's a retention issue. So when we talk about DNI, and there's a line that I'm going to not quote exactly because I don't have the full report in front of us, but basically it's an 
arithmetic issue. If if we don't appeal to people of differing backgrounds, our, the, the national labor force is changing dramatically. By 2040, I guess, or more or less, we are going to be a, a majority-minority country in the labor force. And so if, if people of differing backgrounds and um, uh, ethnicities and, and racial confirmations, they don't think that there's a role for them or a place for them or people like them in the sector, that is going to be a problem. But it's also the inclusion part, that's the diversity part. The inclusion part is how do your employees feel about where they are and their ability to contribute and their voice being heard and how they feel about whether or not they want to stay. And so that's the the inclusion part is really tied to retention. So, you know, I would say employers are being very deliberate about DNI and it doesn't have to be a full blown, you know, we have 15 people who are doing this initiative and they run this and everybody's got these things. It can be really simple that you have, you know, open conversations, you have some trainings, you have um, networks of people coming together to build connections. And it's really those connections that are so key. And those connections, you know, foster other other stickiness within the company. And that's why it's important. And that's why companies large and small are taking on DNI initiatives, because it's really about engaging your workforce. And as we get more and more millennials and more and more Gen Zs in our workforce, it's going to change from I'm lucky I have a job to I want to have a job that I actually enjoy and I like and I can contribute to. So that that how you feel about the office culture, the culture of the company matters. And that's where DNI is a, a key piece of that. So I think it goes really well hand in hand. So, you know, I think this year's study we did, um, that's why we we talked about this is it's beyond um, beyond uh, uh, skills because it's it's we're looking at the broader issue around talent and I think how we retain our workforce is a big key piece of that and that's why I think DNI dovetails so nicely. Well, I will say I was thrilled to see it in the study. Uh, I, as you know, I've been tracking this study for for years, and it was wildly interesting to see that. Um, and I will say that at least in the automotive industry and in the stuff that we're seeing and the stuff that we're doing, this industry is taking a big swing at uh, diversity, equity, inclusion. Uh, not only programs we have here at Automotive News, but there are a number of partnerships in in the in the industry that are looking to tackle this issue when you look at uh, more and more women at the top of automotive industry organizations be they oems be they suppliers we certainly have a long way to go as you point out but i will say that from the view that i have i think the automotive industry i know that the automotive industry has taken a big play on that and so absolutely uh, and there's there's tremendous leaders uh, at all levels you're exactly right from the oems the supply chain and this tremendous desire and i think that that you know really matters and the other thing that i just want one final piece of this you know, we have to look for everybody who is interested in a, in a job and, and the opportunities with our careers. We have to be welcoming to all. And so, you know, the Institute just also recently announced um, an initiative on around second chance hiring, which has been, you know, the object of uh, a lot of attention in the last couple of years. You know, one in three in Americans have a criminal record of some sort. And so um, that might inhibit them from getting a job. And so that's a lot of, of folks that we're taking out of the potential workforce population. And yet there have been some companies that are doing a tremendous job at really looking at what supports and, and um, what supports are needed for those who are ready for a transition to a, a, a career after their time in, in perhaps uh, in, in criminal justice system, who are ready for a career and how to help them 
place successfully and stay successfully. There's great retention numbers, but it, this is, um, you know, like like the broader DNI discussion. It's not only the thing to the right thing to do economically. It's in our economic self interest to have a, a, a diverse and inclusive workforce and bring in as much people as as possible and help them stay. But it's also the right thing to do for our communities. And so, you know, I'm excited about the opportunity around second chance. I'm excited about you know the skilling opportunities we have and really seizing on kind of the the focus on um, the the diverseness of our workforce and the diverseness of our jobs right in the sector, but also it, it's the right thing to do for our communities. And manufacturers have always led. We certainly have led and, and led through the last um, uh, 18 months of the pandemic. And I look forward to them leading in the future in, in these ways and, and closing the skills gap. And we just need the rest of the American public to get behind us. And that's why, you know, we're looking forward to Creators Wanted uh, continuing to roll out. Absolutely. Carolyn, congratulations to you and your team for helping us close the skills gap in the U.S. manufacturing sector. Very compelling insights. Thank you for taking a few minutes and sharing your perspectives on the show today. Happy to do it. Thanks for having me. It's good to see you. That's Daily Drive for Friday, May 28th. For breaking news, go to autonews.com. And to catch up on all of our episodes of Daily Drive, go to autonews.com forward slash daily drive. Enjoy the long Memorial Day weekend, everyone. We're taking Monday off, and we'll be back Tuesday with a brand new episode. In the meantime, and as always, thank you for listening.